This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. This episode is brought to you by Sheets and Giggles, a company with a punny name but a seriously sustainable mission to make better bedding for everyone. Sheets and Giggles bedding consists of sustainably made 400 thread count eucalyptus sheets that are static-free, moisture-wicking, use no insecticides or pesticides, and are half the cost of their store-bought competition. Good Together listeners get 15% off at checkout by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsandgiggles.com. What does clean beauty actually mean, and why should we care about the ingredients that we're putting on our faces every day? In this episode of Good Together, I sit down with Tyla Abbott, the founder of Aether Beauty, to discuss everything you need to know about the clean beauty industry. Tyla shares valuable tidbits about how the U.S. regulates cosmetics versus clean beauty. Um, I personally didn't realize there were so many nuances between clean beauty versus ethical and sustainable beauty. Hint, it has something to do with more than just ingredients. We actually get into recyclable packaging in cosmetics and all sorts of interesting things. If you're looking to start your own clean beauty routine, we've got you covered. Tyla also gives me tips on what to look for in your cabinet, as well as brand recommendations for staple products she uses every day. Whether you're a clean beauty boss or you're new to the world, this episode is for you. Okay, Tyla, welcome uh, to Good Together. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So um, for for those of you who are um, new to Good Together and new to Brightly, we've actually been doing things called Changemaker Coffee Chats, where we bring our community in to ask questions from expert, uh, uh, ask questions of experts like Tyla. Um, and so we did that a few weeks ago. We had such a great response. People had so many questions about clean beauty. So we were like, let's make this a podcast episode. Like, let's get together and talk all things clean beauty because people have so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Um, absolutely, right? So I wonder if you could just start off by giving us um, just a brief introduction of yourself and um, your company. Sure. Um, my name is Tyla Abbott, and I'm the founder of Aether Beauty. Um, 
I used to be the head of product development for Sephora for over seven years in charge of their private label brand. And then I became their head of research and development for sustainability before I left to start Aether Beauty almost two years ago. That's awesome. And uh, listeners, you might be familiar with, but I actually used to work at Sephora too. So Tyler, I think we literally like passed each other like in in the night. Like I don't think we were there at the same time, but I do remember um, personally getting really interested in clean beauty as I worked at Sephora because, you know, when you're an employee there, you're getting exposed to so many new brands and they even do this cool thing or I'm sure Tyler's going to laugh when I say this, but they do this fun thing where they're like bring all these samples out where employees can just like load up on all things, um, not clean beauty, on all beauty in general. <laughs> um, and I started to kind of think through what are the formulations, you know, what are what are things happening with this product that's going to go on my face, right? <laughs> Exactly. Well, your skin is your largest organ. So especially if you're concerned with sort of the food that you're eating and the things surrounding your environment, um, you should be conscious about the products that you're putting on your skin. Exactly. And so is that kind of how you got inspired to start Aether Beauty? And, you know, what did what was the moment where you were like, I need to go out and kind of forge my own clean beauty company? Yeah. So I've been a vegetarian for over 26 years and I worked as an organic cook in college while and pronouncing quinoa correctly before anyone ever knew what the heck it was. Hey, um, there you go. <laughs> and I even got like an organic couch made because I'm terrified of fire retardants. And I had been trying all the products in the clean beauty space for a while when I worked at Sephora, um, just because that was the sort of product that I gravitated towards. And um, I was so pissed every time that I would go and spend a bunch of money on clean makeup um, because it just wasn't up to par for me. Like it wasn't um, equivalent to the formulation that you could find in conventional beauty. The shades were very lackluster. Um, and I'm a mom. So if I took the time to put on my makeup, it better be there two hours later. So I knew I could formulate better just formulating for over seven years. Um, A lot of people in the clean beauty space that are founders in makeup in particular didn't even come from beauty. Um, And I had these relationships and I had been swapping out ingredients for years. Um, But the real great learning at Sephora was really understanding the Sephora customer. And for me, that was really um, uh, the best learning because we used to watch those ratings and reviews like a hawk because oh yes I remember this yes back at all and you automatically know if you have a hit or not if there's a product issue um and so it really made you a good product developer in order to um satisfy the Sephora clients and I'm a Sephora girl I like color I like innovation like I like Pat McGrath and Fenty and um a bunch of these brands that Sephora carried. And I was like, why can't I find this innovation in clean color? And I was like, I know it's possible. So um, I left to sort of prove that it could be done and done in a sustainable lens as well and not be like all Whole Foods sort of granola So um, Aether Beauty was born. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar, Aether Beauty has beautiful packaging, which we're going to get into talking about packaging a little bit because it's fascinating. But I think one of the things that drew Lisa and I to your brand is your use of color. And honestly, to me, it, it reminded me of 
um, these these palettes that I was used to seeing in non-clean beauty brands. And yes, to your point, I think oftentimes people think when they you know hear the words clean beauty, it needs to be very like muted and oh natural and that whole aesthetic. And that's fine. Like if that's what you're going for, there's plenty of brands out there to serve you. But I do think there's a hole in the market for people who want color and want this like bit more outgoing type of look while still you know, respecting the ingredients that are on their body. Um, and I, the other thing I wanted to mention was for me personally, just, I didn't even know half the things that people were talking about when they would talk about performance. Um, and I think performance of clean beauty and beauty in general is something that you can't really understand until you have a product that just completely doesn't work for you. And that's when you see those ratings and reviews of people saying, wanted to love this, but it just didn't last at all. And actually that has been one of my main um, pet peeves as I have gradually transitioned my beauty closet to being more clean. One thing in particular, I'm like crazy about sunscreen and SPF. And I always trying to find like the holy grail, the HG of, of the beauty world. That's what people call it, <laughs> um, of sunscreens, because I feel like the um, zinc oxide ones, which is typically what I'm trying to find, are usually super sticky. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about performance and how you um, approach that when you design a new product. Yeah. So um, I kind of alluded to it a little bit. So when I work with chemists, a lot of times when you have these relationships with chemists and manufacturers, they tend to tell you no a lot. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and I think if you're, you know, not used to that or if you're a founder and like don't really have that relationship or don't really know how it works, you know, I can go back and bring solves that maybe the chemist hasn't thought of in order to get sort of what I'm looking for. So to start with my um eyeshadow palette. So a hundred percent, like I agree, like number one, the product has to work. And then on top of it, it's vegan, it's cruelty free, it's clean, it's ethically sourced and it's recyclable. But for like the number one concern before I put a product in the market, because there's so much product in the market, there has to be a reason for it in order for me to produce it. Um, it needs to freaking work. And I exactly know how to get that payoff. I know to get that innovation and shimmer, um, just being a developer, I know how to push the needle. So um, the basis of all my formulas are actually skincare based, which most clean formulas are. Um, but Basically, it's a blend of organic coconut butter and shea butters mixed with these powders. And it's sort of how much you use of each and how you blend it that you get that amazing one swipe payoff that can blend really well, that can work on oily lids, hooded lids, but then it stays. Um, all my reviews are rated five stars, even on Sephora, which is incredibly hard to do. Yes. Um, their average color conventional brand is like a 4.2 rating and review. But if you look at clean makeup specifically and you take my brand out, it's a 3.8. So that to me is the most, uh, what I'm most proud of, just being able to get that satisfaction from that client to prove that you don't have to sacrifice anything if you want to switch over to clean beauty. Yeah, that's huge. Congrats. I mean, I feel like something like that is even more valuable to you than like, 
being in a magazine for an issue or something like that, right? Like having that great feedback from your customer base is just really what it's all about. Um, So you mentioned a little bit about how your products are formulated. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wonder if you, as you went through this journey and started to create your own product and think through what's actually in the beauty products you were using, I wonder if there's interesting things we can get into about materials. I think on our coffee chat, we talked a little bit about mica. So I wonder if you could tell Good Together listeners about you know, what mica is, why it appears in our beauty products a lot right now that aren't clean beauty, um, and why it's damaging to the environment. Because I didn't know this. I think it's fascinating. Sure. So one thing to sort of just um, differentiate and talk about is the, um, you know, there's no real definition of clean beauty. I mean, clean yes. beauty is supposed to mean like non-toxic ingredients, but what those ingredients are are very debatable. Um, so it all spawned because the last time the laws were updated in the U.S. was in 1938. So in 1938, there was a total of 32 chemicals that were banned in the cosmetic industry. Since then, there's been over 16,000 ingredients that are used that are not regulated. And on top of it, in the U.S., it's up to brands to self-regulate. So the FDA doesn't go and test anything or police anything unless there's a big a lot of complaints against a particular item. They just don't. Yeah. And I just wanted to jump in 1938. Like that's, (laughs) I mean, literally I just Googled what was happening in 1938. Yeah. And literally you could, the average price for a new car was $763. And people were paying $27 per month in rent. So um, that was the average cost. So I just want to kind of level set with everyone. And that is literally the last time our government did anything about listing out uh, sorry, listing out ingredients in in beauty products. That's crazy. (laughs) And like different countries have different laws and regulations. Um, So Canada bans 500 ingredients. The EU bans 1,300. So in my, in Aether Beauty, we ban over 2,500 ingredients and counting. Um, and that's sort of at the clean level. But that is more like a green beauty kind of concept. Um, there's this trend happening that's being called blue beauty, which is when you take an even deeper look into your ingredients for the sourcing of them and making sure that they're ethically sourced, they're sustainably sourced, and um, child labor free, as well as sustainable packaging. So the issue with mica is that unfortunately, 30% of the world's mica comes directly from child labor, and the majority of it is coming out of India. And with this uptick in clean beauty, um, mica is used as a base in a lot of powder formulas, and it also is used to create that that sparkle whenever you see a sparkle in an eyeshadow or highlighter or lip gloss, any okay. of stuff that's coming from mica. Um, mica itself is like a mineral. It's like a crystal. It's very, it's like, it looks like slates almost on top of each other. It's really brittle. It's thin. Um, but basically it's what basically makes makeup. (laughs) Um, and the alternative to mica is talc and talc is something that's considered not clean because it can be directly contaminated with asbestos. So, um, if you're with this whole uptick in clean beauty, more and more people are using mica. And what happens is 
when you're a brand, you work with a manufacturer that has a chemist and like their own production and you buy the product that you formulate together through them. They're not necessarily telling you where they're sourcing their ingredients from. They don't necessarily give you a lot of insight because it's quote unquote, like their intellectual property and all this sort of stuff. So sometimes brands just don't even know, don't know what to ask. Sometimes it's all bottom line oriented. It's always negotiation on how much is this product going to cost and what the brand wants it to cost. And so if the manufacturer has to make something cheaper, they will source really cheap mica. Um, So for me, you know, knowing this problem, (laughs) I directly did not want anything with child labor in my ingredients. So all my mica is sourced from the U.S., um, which is more expensive. Or if I can't vet the source of my mica, I actually will substitute it. And so there's another misconception that clean beauty means natural, like natural ingredients. And that's absolutely not true. There are so many natural ingredients that are not safe and that are toxic for you as well, including asbestos, including coal tar, including a million different things. Yep. Um, I'm a firm believer in safe synthetics and things that have been tested and really push the needle when it comes to performance and preservation of your uh, formulations and things that have been highly tested to be non-toxic. Synthetic mica is rated a one in the environmental working group. So if you have a question about an ingredient, that's a great resource to look up an ingredient and see its toxicity from one to 10, 10 being the worst. Um, So synthetic mica is exactly how it sounds. It's grown in a lab. Um, but it's completely clear versus what you might mine in a mine. So oh, when interesting. You mine in a mine, it's like kind of like smoky quartz color. So the fact that I use synthetic mica, I'm ensuring there's no child labor, um, but I'm also able to get a whole other range of shades because you're starting with a clearer base. So it's kind of like also knowing these tricks and when you formulate, but There's another thing with synthetics too. So natural ingredients can be way over harvested. I mean, um, palm oil is such a huge issue when it comes to makeup and, um, you know, being scared of the word synthetic is actually can be a reverse when it comes to sustainability because you're seeing all these natural ingredients, but you, they might not be sustainably harvested. They might not be, um, good on the earth in order to harvest it, just using up more water or resources in order to produce it versus producing something in a lab. So um, I think there's a lot of innovation that's going to come in this space too, especially as more people are looking for safer, non-toxic ingredients. Um, But it'll, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, I really hope that um, people look at it from an overall sustainable lens and not just a clean lens. Yeah, that's fascinating. I feel like absolutely people, when they think of ethical and sustainable products or even clean or natural products, they assume that it basically has to be. I don't know, like handpicked out of the earth and things Mm -hmm. like that. And honestly, um, you know, the more that we can be cognizant of our natural resources by doing things like duplicating them in the lab, if done on an ethical, um, you know, fashion, I think is just so important. And honestly, I hadn't really thought about it in relation to the beauty industry. Um, You know, I think when I think about labs in in the beauty industry, I think a lot about animal testing. So I wonder if um, animal testing is something, I mean, certainly, um, you know, I, I know that you don't 
do that um, with your line. But I wondered if that was if you've ever had a chance to kind of dig into that um, unfortunate side of the industry as well. I have never personally seen any sort of animal testing, thank God. <laughs> um, but yeah, sure. like people also associate clean with meaning, meaning vegan or cruelty free, meaning vegan. Like people don't really understand what all these words mean. So cruelty free just means the product wasn't tested on an animal, but it can still contain animal ingredients. So that doesn't mean that product's vegan at all, which is so mind blowing to me because it's like, well, if it's an animal ingredient, how is that not cruelty? How is that cruelty free? But it just means that product was not tested somewhere along the line on an animal. Vegan, well, there you go. There's so interesting. No animal ingredients, but it could also be mean it was tested on an animal. So. The main thing for a beauty brand, a lot of people have gotten rid of animal testing. Um, it's not something you need whatsoever in order to create product that is not harmful to people. Um, but basically, there are certain laws in different countries that are old school that just haven't been changed. So China is the perfect example because if you sell your product in China, um, it needs to be tested onto an animal in order to be regulated within the Chinese government. So you might not even personally test it from your brand. It could be the government testing it and you don't even know. But that's why a lot of people uh, use and ask. I get questions all the time if I'm selling products in China. But that's usually what people ask is if you're selling your product in China, because if you are, then there is animal testing somewhere along the way. Oh, wow. I had no idea. And honestly, you know, I also didn't know that cruelty and vegan, um, I knew that they weren't the same certification, but I didn't know that one, you know, automatically included, didn't include the other, et cetera. So that's, that's pretty fascinating as well. It's not um, actually even certification. So it's up to the brand just to say it. There are third party um, logos that you can look for. So PETA is one of them, but PETA is very easy to get because you don't have to prove that you actually are um, really cruelty free or vegan. And that's where it says PETA vegan, right? Is that, is that what you is that the one you're talking about? I use oh the PETA yeah PETA you just basically like submit an application and pay a fee. Okay. Um, but Leaping Bunny certification, you actually have to prove um, that you aren't using animal ingredients and that you aren't testing on animals. So Leaping Bunny is a much higher regulated symbol to look for. Um, and I'm both PETA and Leaping Bunny, but um, that is just something to note that any brand just like any brand can claim it's clean. There's no real definition of it. There's no real certification. So um, that's why I think there's been a lot of backlash in the clean beauty industry with people saying that, oh, clean doesn't mean anything. Like it, you're just buying into this sort of hoax sort of thing. And that's why I'm always such a proponent for regulation. Um, there's been so many laws gone into our government to try and change these cosmetic laws. But unfortunately, it just our government and Congress has not um, passed any of them. So yeah, they haven't made it a priority, you know, and I think it's it's up to us um, as, you know, con their constituents to contact them and say, hey, you know what, I'm doing as much as I can from a consumer perspective, but you guys need to step it up. And that's where my vote's going, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. So, um, but that's why I think it's really hard for clients to understand and to be able to see through a lot of greenwashing to really know, 
you know, you really have to be a scientist in order to read these ingredients on the back of your um, cosmetic labels. And it makes it really easy for people not to be able to understand. So I actually love what certain retailers like Credo Beauty or the Detox Market or Beauty Heroes, they have such a stringent regulation and list of things that are banned that you actually have to prove are not in your ingredient not in your products um, versus retailers that have shorter lists or don't make you prove anything. Um, so they kind of take the guesswork out of you where you can go into those environments and know that all the um, products in that space are have been vetted by them. So I think that's kind of a really nice point of a retailer especially in the clean beauty space, to just make it easier for the client to understand and feel good about their products. Absolutely. Um, And actually, that was going to lead me to my next question, which is, I know there's so many things that consumers should technically be looking for when they're starting their clean beauty journey. So I wonder if there's like a few, maybe a handful of things you could coach beginners to look for. And I think before you even get into that, one thing that we talked about on our coffee chat was a lot of times people say like, oh, like what's the first thing I should do? And I think Mm -hmm. you and I both said the same thing, which is use up what you still have in your beauty closet, please. Like, please don't go just getting rid of everything in the name of clean beauty, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, it just, this conversation always like freaks people out and there's a lot of guilt associated with it, which is what I'm sort of trying to um, help alleviate a little bit because it's very overwhelming when you start understanding about all these ingredients and what's in them and what you're using. But I always tell people like, do not go throw everything out. That's not sustainable either. Um, If you really feel bad, you can donate your products to like a women's battered shelter or women's homeless shelter. But um, it's a lot easier to just take it step by step. And like whatever you run out next, maybe take a little bit more time and do research on that particular product. Like if you're looking for a new mascara or a new shampoo, and eventually you'll go through the cycle and be able to, you know, replace everything. Um, So it's also not overwhelmingly expensive either. So Uh, that's sort of the mindset I take. And I take that for everything um, that I sort of buy, especially during this whole, you know, quarantine time, it's really made me rethink what I really need. Um, And, you know, it's so easy to press that Amazon button these days. But it's like, you know, where's that product coming from? Where's that product made? Do I really need to buy that pan that comes from China? Or can I, you know, spend a little bit money, it'll last a little bit longer. Um, and support, you know, better materials or better, you know, manufacturing and like better um, treatment of employees too. So absolutely. Yeah, we always talk about just consuming less on this podcast. And I think, you know, one of the struggles people are always going to be going through is essentially, you know, we do have to buy things. Like I think if somebody's going to come on a podcast and tell you, you, you need to buy nothing ever, that's, you know, unrealistic. Um, but what you can do is be more thoughtful when it comes time for your purchasing. So yeah, that's why we do what we do at Brightly, which is to uplift brands and products that we believe are ethical and sustainable, and that can help, you know, further a better world. Um, but we also understand like, hey, like <laughs> at the end of the day, we'd, we'd love for everybody to purchase less too. So we, we know there's a push and a pull, but we know that the average consumer has one too. <laughs> so it is what it is. Thanks so much for listening. 
We'll get back to today's episode in just a second, but we wanted to take a break to recognize a few companies that we've partnered with. Right now, there are thousands of ethical brands out there, which can be confusing and overwhelming. This is why Brightly exists. We are your guide to doing good in the world through conscious consumerism. We personally vet and try products from every single brand that we partner with, both on our podcast and on our platform, Brightly.eco, so that you don't have to do the research yourself. Partnerships like this are what helps Brightly and our community grow and increase our impact. Thank you. Laura, you've probably heard me talk all the time about my love for sheets and giggles. I've been sleeping on their new sustainable eucalyptus sheets for the past three months straight. I recommend them a thousand percent. Every week I wash them and put them back on the bed right away. They're my go-to sheets. All of my other sheets, even the ethical ones, are taking a long break. After hearing you rave about them for so long, I finally got to try their new eucalyptus comforter. I'm a weirdo. I really like having a comforter on my bed all the time, even in the middle of the summer. And I haven't been waking up hot when I've been using this one from Sheets and Giggles. It's a great ethical and sustainable alternative to the down one we used to use that's now sitting on our guest bed. Another thing I love about Sheets and Giggles is that they don't use plastic packaging and their materials don't use pesticides. So they're kind to our animal and insect friends. They also plant a tree for each sheet set that is sold, and they are passionate about giving back. They give 10% off to their customers who donate their old sheets to homeless shelters and have donated over $40,000 to Colorado COVID relief. That's awesome. Good Together listeners get 15% off by using the code BRIGHTLY at sheetsandgiggles.com. This episode is also brought to you by Bootywear, super soft, comfortable, everyday essentials that Lisa and I are in love with. I love my bootywear socks so much that I wore them for a week straight and then lost one of them. I think about it all the time. That's terrible. Anyway, one of the reasons we love bootywear is because they're made of an ethical and sustainable material, bamboo. Most bamboo around the world is grown without pesticides, fertilizer, or artificial irrigation, so it's super water-friendly. Bootywear uses ethically farmed bamboo and manufactures their products in a closed-loop production process. This means that no water is wasted during production, and it's recycled. Plus, each product possesses important ethical certifications, like RAP for ethical labor, Okotex 100, and more. Yeah, and did you know that bamboo is ready for harvesting in as little as three months, while trees can take more than 20 years? I'm also kind of obsessive about the types of fabrics I wear. They have to be soft or else I won't wear them. Bootywear made the cut for me. The bamboo-based material is really breathable and bootywear turns it into beautiful basics like shirts, socks, underwear, and more for men, women, and kids. Good Together listeners can get 20% off by using code BRIGHTLY at bootywear.com. Bootywear is spelled B-O-O-D-Y wear. Yeah. And like, I am not someone that lives like a beautifully perfect zero waste lifestyle at all. Like I am normally like a mom on the go, like living everybody's same life, you know? So, but just really being more conscious as a consumer and really taking the slow movement to everything that I'm doing. Like everyone talks about slow fashion, but nobody talks about slow beauty. So for me, slow beauty, like um, is really getting away from these overconsumption palette after palette after palette from like all these conventional beauty brands, right? Um, and really 
taking a step back and realizing, you know, samples, number one, samples are more expensive per like unit cost, but anything, um, if we want to talk about recycling a little bit, like anything smaller than the size of a credit card cannot get recycled. So there's something like 120 billion cosmetic um, packaging units produced annually, and those products are not getting recycled in general. That's insane. I, I, I remember you shared that on our coffee chat, and I just... Like I literally just watched Frontline has a fascinating documentary called The Plastic Wars and it totally. talks specifically about plastic recycling. So highly recommend folks who are listening, check that out. Um, but yes, I think the fact that most samples like you're referring to, they're in these tiny containers, like that's not, those containers aren't going to get recycled. I feel like a, you know, maybe more sustainable option will be just to go into the store um, and try, you know, a swatch or something like that if you can. Um, so that you're not necessarily getting a sample of something, um, you know, delivered to you. But I, before we move on into packaging, because that's so fascinating, I wanted to just just pause on what you said about slow beauty, because I personally never could understand, especially when I worked at Sephora, um, all these women who had, they would get new palettes like every, I don't know, every month, every two months and things like that. And I, it takes me like a year to go through a palette. So, so I was always like, am I the only one that it takes a while to go through it? So I suppose people that are a bit more of these beauty junkies, um, I guess they just have a bunch in their closet, right? Oh, is yeah. that, is that what people happens? on Instagram that like <laughs> lay them all out. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's like wall no. <laughs> in their rooms, like on the floor. It's crazy. But when I design my palettes um, or all my products, they have a huge fill. So all my eyeshadow palettes, they're like an Urban Decay and a half. Um, and then they're supposed to last three to four years after you open them. So like literally you're using them for the next couple of years. Um, That's such good news because I just got one of your palettes and oh. I just can't wait to never have to buy another one again <laughs> like, <laughs> at my rate. I don't like this concept, but I'm such a huge proponent of, you know, buying products that might be a little bit more expensive, but will last you longer, um, that don't take so much packaging and so much toll on the environment with all this stuff. And then the other thing to think of when you were asking me, you know, are there certain ingredients to watch out for? So, you know, people always want like a really easy checklist and like, you know, five to 10 ingredients sort of thing. But if it was just five to 10 ingredients, that's all I would sort of ban, <laughs> but I ban thousands. So yeah. You know, if you have just like something that's paraben free, but you have something with other ingredients in it, you're not really doing yourself any favors. Um, one thing with eyeshadows in general is that, you know, the skin on your eyes is really thin. And the majority of conventional eyeshadows use a lot of cheap ingredients, use a lot of ingredients that block your pores. So one example is PTFE. Okay. That is literally Teflon. Um, the same Teflon coating that's on your pans that everyone tells you not to use and all that stuff, it's used in your eyeshadows and it blocks your pores, it creates that slip and that blendability. Um, so besides the toxicity of the Teflon itself, it's causing your pores not to breathe. And so when your pores aren't breathing, you're actually causing them to age faster. And who knew as I like just turned 40, like you get wrinkles on your eyelids the older you get. And like 
if you're someone who's using beauty, you're probably, you know, someone who does not want to age faster. So um, the basis of my ingredients are, again, more skincare based. You're adding more, more moisture and these skincare benefits back into your skin versus these conventional ingredients that are actually stripping out um, what your skin needs. I can't believe that Teflon thing. I just got this visual yeah, of like I mean, somebody so with like hands on their eyes. Do. So. Like, it drives me crazy. So, um, wow. I mean, there's not a lot of, there's one in particular. And I also um, don't like to talk poorly about other brands, but this is like a large influencer brand who claims mm. to be clean, but literally the, the first one of the ingredients is Teflon. And I'm just like, why does nobody like call this stuff out? Like, it's so crazy to me. So yeah, that's insane. I yeah. mean, I feel like just the more it's one of those, the more, you know, type scenarios. Um, but I love that you, you mentioned that you use skincare um, as you create, you know, quote unquote makeup. Right. And so for people who are, you know, looking to approach this from a more budget conscious perspective, A, you're able to give them a product that is going to last longer. Um, so they're not going to have to go out and buy it. But then B, maybe they don't have to go out and buy extra products to like counteract the materials that were happening in their makeup. So I think that's huge. Um, I love it. Not too, because people always ask me about like safety of cosmetics considering like COVID-19 and stuff. So um, when you are purchasing makeup products, just be a little bit more cognizant. So powder products do tend to not grow mold as fast or as well as a liquid product does. So if you have like a cream or if you have, like if you think of a skincare product, like a moisturizer, like usually the shelf life is three to six months. So it's kind of the same with makeup, but something that's a powder, there's no water in it. So the water is basically the activator that can help uh, grow mold. Um, so just using something a little bit more powder based can sort of set aside people's fears of like, everything that's going on with viruses and everything right now. So that's good to know. And I know there's people that do the whole like beauty fridge thing where they have um, like their own little fridge set up to keep things from going bad. Is like, like, have you heard of people doing that before? Oh yeah, I've heard of everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, there's something for everyone in this world, especially the beauty. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, that's actually not a dumb idea. That's actually a pretty good one considering, yeah. you know, what can happen to your beauty products. Um, yeah. Like you're supposed to throw out your mascara every three months, like, because, you know, which no one does, like, right? Your eyes too, you really don't want to screw around with taking chances. Um, but yeah, like anything that's more of a liquid based formula definitely has a shorter shelf life. For sure. So let's get into packaging because I know this is something that both you and I are super passionate about, even though like, we need like shirts that like packaging nerds. But truly, I think, you know, the waste that the beauty gener beauty industry generates is so large. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit. I think you had an interesting statistic you shared in the coffee chat or just kind of get into it. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. So the EPA reported that a third of the landfill is from the beauty industry with um, the majority of that coming from color cosmetics, which that's insane. Is insane. Like, I don't even know how many industries there are in this world, but to be like a third of the landfill is crazy to me. So 
Uh, one of the best things I have ever did, and I always tell people to do this themselves, is visit your local recycling facility. So it is free. You usually, usually just make an appointment. They have tours. Um, you know, things might be a little bit harder now, given the times we're in. But um, if you do have an opportunity to go check out your recycling facility, it is the most mind-boggling, eye-opening experience. Um and I really learned a ton of what gets recycled, what doesn't get recycled. Um, I learned that two basic things, mirrors and magnets are completely unrecyclable. And like, they're literally in like every like eyeshadow component or even lipsticks have magnets in them. And I basically take the due diligence of how far I research an ingredient and where it's coming from. And I do the same with that on packaging. So magnets, the ingredients that um, are mined to create magnets are, ma are mined in these three mines in China with like incredibly treacherous human conditions with their workers getting crazy health issues. And just knowing that it was like, why am I, you know, going to put that because it's so far removed from what a magnet looks like into my product, you know, like, it's like somebody who like eats meat, but like would never, you know, kill an animal or something. It's like, they don't want to know the process of what happens to it. Um, but basically, like magnets are in everything. They're in our computers, they're in our phones, they're in everything. And I'm just knowing that as someone who is a creator. So my background's actually in fashion design. And so I worked in that world for many years before I transitioned to beauty. And I used to travel to China once every two months and work with very, very small factories and saw a lot of things I wish I could unsee. Um, but it's always stuck with me. And I was super young. I felt incredibly powerless as someone just out of design school working for a company. Um, but, you know, this being my company, I was like, you know, I can take the responsibility and not put these ingredients into my products. So um, when I understood that all of this packaging too, like just thinking of all the, you know, Ulta's and beauty retailers of the world, like all of that packaging is going into the trash and not getting recycled. So the problem with cosmetic packaging um, and why that's so hard to get recycled is that there are harder plastics that are used to create these compacts um, or like lip glosses. And basically, okay. there are over, there are like thousands of different types of plastics. And in our like quote unquote recycling system, they just divide them into seven. Well, that doesn't really work. <laughs> um, and one through seven doesn't mean it actually all gets recycled either. So, number seven, just means mixed materials, which is not recyclable at all. So when you go to a recycling facility, nobody is standing there taking things apart. So if something, and it's a business, so they're looking, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of trucks just dumping um, these recycling goods on a conveyor belt. And so it's just about efficiency, of course, because it's a business. And anything that is mixed materials or anything like, for example, I think I told you this that black plastic is completely unrecyclable um, because yep. of the silly infrastructure problem. So the conveyor belts are black on the recycling um, belts and the sensors can't read black plastic. So it just gets siphoned and does not get recycled. Um, there's a problem with bioplastics too. So people think bioplastics are the answer. Um, and Number one, they have to go in a um, industrialized 
compost facility, right? Which I think there's less than 0.03 in the US that like mandatory make people um, compost, right? Yep. Um, But I'm lucky enough to live in a city that has one. So in San Francisco, so I went, I asked a bunch of questions and they were like, whatever you do, don't use bioplastics. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, the... um, the uh, cycle for an industrialized um, biodegradable facility is getting faster and faster. So they're getting it down between 30 and 60 days. But these bioplastics can take six months, 12 months to biodegrade, especially the thicker they are. And anything that's left over from this process, they literally just swipe away and put directly into the landfill. Oh, and my gosh. Materials act exactly like plastic. Like, they sound cooler because they're bioplastic, but they're literally plastic originating at some point from, like, corn or, you know, seaweed or any sort of cellulose or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still making plastic. So, and then they're screwing up the recycling facilities because they're not plastic they're not these plastics that are the plastics that are PET or different materials that are more heavily recycled. Um, and so they're getting like, you know, a biodegradable fork versus a, re- you know, regular plastic fork. Again, nobody's sitting there like looking, being like, is this a biodegradable or regular and like putting it in the right bin. And unfortunately now, like with our um, current administration, you know, not being so nice with China, um, China has restricted more of our recycling. Um, basically, uh, China used to take our recycling goods and recycle them. And China has made it very, very hard for them to accept anymore. Um, and so now a lot of recycling facilities don't even know what's going on with where their materials are going. And they're going to other third party countries and basically wiping their hands of it. So yeah, it's it's such a problem. And like I said, that documentary I watched on Frontline was it was pretty fascinating. They actually go into this, but I one thing that stood out to me in just, you know, hearing what you were saying and then also like doing a bit more research myself is that, you know, we often forget that recycling to your point is a business. It's not um, you know, a government um, run program. It is something that is a business. <laughs> I'm sorry, a federal government um, run program. And I, I do think that we as consumers should push for more regulation in this and more, you know, this needs to be something that we we really take up the cause for. Because I think once you really realize, A, how little, you know, recycling is actually happening. <laughs> B, you know, the amount of waste that we're generating that literally just goes into the the environment. I think there's just such an opportunity for us to to do better um, as a society. So I think I love that you are, um, you know, as as somebody who is putting physical product into the world, I love that you're thinking about this and are truly taking on the disposal work um, yourself, more or less, by creating a product that is inherently you know, easier to dispose of. So I think that's that's fascinating. Um, so we're we're kind of coming up on time. I wondered if we could kind of close with a few different uh, questions that we usually like to ask all of our good together uh, guests. Sure. So one question we had for you would be, if you could uh, share one or two actionable tips about living ethically that you do yourself every day. Yeah, I mean, one of them, like I already alluded to, is just making more conscious decisions on whatever I need to purchase, Um, especially right now, because we 
left um, San Francisco and went to my sister's in Arizona and we didn't think we'd be here this long. So we just took like a small suitcase. So we're literally living out of a suitcase for eight weeks. And I'm like, we really don't need that much stuff. You know, it's been kind of exactly <laughs> through that sort of process. Like, um, but yeah. And then I also tell people, you know, if they could just take one day out of their lives and just be conscious of the trash that they're putting out there. That to me is such a great assignment and like no judgment, like not at all, just to understand what is being put where and how much just one person produces in a day. Yeah. I mean, again, just thinking a little bit, being a bit more conscious, understanding that, um, you know, we just talked for a long time about plastics, but understanding that, um, you know, when you're getting that clamshell of beautiful little gems, lettuces from Whole Foods, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm talking to myself right now, um, as much as you love those little lettuces, they're coming in a clamshell that's probably not going to be recycled, um, you know, and and thinking through that. So what does that mean? Does that mean that I buy um, produce that doesn't have packaging on it? Yes, that should be what I do. <laughs> um, and so just being conscious and, of course, very much to your point, not being judgmental of yourself, realizing that we're not perfect, but the more that we can make positive steps in the right direction, the bigger impact we're going to have. Um, and then the uh, another question that we like to ask is, um, I wondered if you could tell us one of your favorite ethical brands or products that you're using and why, and it doesn't actually even have to be beauty related. Yeah. I mean, can it be beauty related? Of course it can. Yes. Everyone that I should mention on our coffee chat, everybody was asking Tyla all of her recommendations. (laughs) I actually started my own page um, just under my name to go over different sustainable products. um, Okay. Because I don't want to do it on my brand because I just, I, I find it weird, but you know, just being a, as someone who's little bit of an expert in this space and trying to figure out for my own needs what works and what doesn't in other categories. I sort of started my own Instagram on that. So you can follow me at Tyla Abbott. Okay, Um, great. We'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) My name has all the double letters. Um, But there's two products right now. So um, one of the problems in beauty is water, right? So a lot of water, which we already talked about, is more susceptible to growing mold as well. You're also, you know, the majority of a lot of skincare-based ingredients or hair care-based ingredients, the first ingredient is water. So you're literally shipping water all over the world from whenever you're manufacturing it to whenever it's coming to you. Um, so this brand called Owa, I, I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, but it's O-W-A, hair care, has formulated shampoo without water. So it's little granules. And so they have a little tiny bottle that replaces eight, eight of your full size um, uh, shampoo bottles. Um, And basically they extracted the water from this formula to be able to produce a smaller footprint efficacious, amazing shampoo. And I've been wearing it all week and like loving it. Um, so that's amazing. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you, so it works, right? What about, yeah. do they have conditioner or just shampoo? I, right I now? know that's the first question I have. <laughs> they're working on a conditioner because like my hair, especially in the desert needs conditioner, but I'm always hesitant not to use conditioner. And I've just been using the shampoo and it's been great. Actually, it's been so oh, wow. It's still been like manageable and like not frizzy. Um, and then another 
skincare brand that I love is called the Mara Beauty. Um, the founder is Allison McNamara, and she's harvested like sustainable seaweed um, and really amazing ingredients for these skincare oils that are also packaged in glass and more sustainable materials to give back. So Mara means the ocean, I believe in Gaelic because she's Irish. Um, okay. The ingredients are just incredibly beautiful and I absolutely love her elixir. So huge fans of both of those, both those brands. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely check them out. <laughs> and um, so our final question. So what excites you the most about the ethical and sustainable movement happening right now? Well, I'm happy it's happening. Like when I started, right? <laughs> when I left to do this, like I, my PR person's always like, you couldn't have hit all the trends on the, on the head. And I was like, I didn't do this to be trendy. Like I didn't even know if it would be part of the conversation about the brand. Like if the clients would even care, I did it because I cared and I did it because I knew what I was producing and the effects of it. And it's great that people are thinking more and more in this line, but I didn't know if people would care, honestly. Um, but it's amazing that people are and the industry is changing now. Like Sephora uses my brand as the gold standard now when it comes to cosmetic packaging. And that's something so cool. I'm incredibly proud of. Yeah. And like, people are always like, aren't you afraid people are gonna knock you off? And I'm like, they should knock me off. Like, this is the point. Like, I'm not afraid if someone's gonna like come and like try and like knock off my formula. But like, knock off my packaging, please like do better packaging. Like there's nothing to be hidden in that aspect. Like, please do better. I love that. I mean, I just the the growth and the movement that we're even seeing right now during COVID-19, um, because people are becoming more and more conscious of just these daily decisions that we, I think we're used to just kind of going through the motions previously. And now that we literally don't even have the motions to do because our, our lives have been so upended. I think that for, um, for us at Brightly and really for everyone that we, we've spoken with, like that continues to be a small silver lining happening right now um, in a situation that um, unfortunately is just, just terrible. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. I think, like I said, clean beauty is such a hot topic amongst our community members and Lisa and I know just enough <laughs> to get by, but we love to have experts like yourself on to share the knowledge. So thank you so much for joining us, Tyler. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And can I give you a discount code for your listeners? Of course, please yes. do. <laughs> yeah, um, I will give a discount code of 20% off site-wide. So with um, Go Brightly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure people will be very excited to use that. Uh, but yes, thanks so much, Tyla. And we look forward to sharing this with our audience. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. 
If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.